0: Last night's message uh, was different, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, it's good to take a break because now we're getting back to serious stuff, somber stuff. And uh, so I have some things written on the board and I'll put that up in a few minutes too. Uh, Incidentally, at two o'clock, uh, we've been uh, holding our theological parties at 4 o'clock, and so it'll be at 2 o'clock. But uh, I'll just come in here at 2 o'clock, and uh, we can have it on anything. Anybody that wants, that isn't interested in baseball or tennis or scuba diving or anything else, this is my sports activity at 2 o'clock. So if you want to talk about the Bible, anything about the Bible, I love it, uh, come on in. And I'll be here at 2 o'clock, and we can just talk about it. First come, first serve, whatever you want. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your day. This is another day to serve you. And we rejoice in Christ who is our Savior. And Lord, though the subject matter is a heavy subject matter and at times can be depressing, we ask, Lord, that we would rejoice in the world we shall have sorrow and tribulation. But we must be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, make that the focus of our study, that Christ would be central so that we would rejoice amidst all that goes around us. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 first, then we'll get into the subject matter. Luke chapter 13. This text comes to mind when I think about the homosexual issue, the gay issue, the AIDS issue. Luke 13, first verse, 1 through 5. Now there were some present at that very season who told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Think ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they have suffered these things? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all in like manner perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Salaam fell and killed them, Think ye that they were offenders above all the men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But except you, par- you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, I put that uh, an excerpt of that on my church bulletin board outside. Uh, and I was addressing the homosexual community the straight community, crooked community, all the other communities that we have in San Francisco, that except we repent, we shall likewise perish. We may not perish with that kind of a disease that the homosexual communities experience, experienced, but with something else. It may just be with natural causes at that, but except we repent, we're no better off. We'll perish, too. Let me read something again. This is something I put together a few years ago. I was invited to speak before a Congressional subcommittee hearing on gay rights. Uh, This was the first proposed legislation to expand the uh, Civil Rights Act to include homosexuality, actually sexual orientation. And so this was the first uh, subcommittee hearing on that. Uh, It was held in San Francisco back in October of 1980. I was the only one invited to rebut it, and there were eight others that were invited to support the new legislation. Now, when you speak before sub- uh, congressional committees or subcommittees, uh, you don't volunteer. I mean, you don't just go sign up and say, yes, I'd like to do something like that. You have to be invited and all this other stuff. And a whole lot of negotiations involved, who they want. The whole thing's programmed. The whole thing is, is prepared ahead of time uh, so that they want to hear certain testimony and so forth. Anything can be put in the congressional record, so that's good. So you, you can put anything, telephone, books, numbers, anything, in the congressional record. It doesn't mean a whole lot either, just because it's in the congressional record. But we happen to fit a lot of things in the congressional record uh, about what the gospel has to say as well. And this is a, an excerpt of that. This is a collection of things. Um, we were also fighting against the uh, the gay rights bill in Sacramento, so we put together a pamphlet of stuff, which this is, and we distributed it to the assemblymen as well. And I had tons of them left at home, I should have brought some down. But this is how it opened up. Once upon a time there was an old, vain emperor who was approached by some clever philosophers. They suggested to the emperor that they could weave a magical cloak that could discern who was wise and who was foolish. Although the cloak would be expensive for, for what it could do, it would be worthwhile. Because of the magical makeup of the thread, only the wise and sophisticated could see it. The emperor ordered the weaving to be done, only to realize that he himself was foolish and unsophisticated for he, because he didn't see anything as they fitted him with his new cloak. Not wishing to be embarrassed, though, and reveal his stupidity, he expressed his delight in such a wonderful garment. On the day of the royal procession, the whole town came out to praise the emperor for his new and glorious garment. Everyone joined in admiring the magical cloak, lest they be branded fools and unsophisticated themselves. Then a little boy in his childishness cried out, The emperor has no clothes on. The little boy had told the truth and revealed his foolishness. The emperor and the crowd were exposed by the unsophisticated remark of the little boy. We would love to have a magical garment or magical glasses that we could put on to discover the wise from the foolish. There is no such magical apparatus. The Bible plainly says homosexuality is immoral. And I'm here to say that the gay rights movement has no clothes on. (laughs) To be sophisticated and avoid political suicide, you must bow, kowtow, to the latest shibboleth of discrimination. The word itself has become the shibboleth of political wisdom and expediency. The cry of discrimination is like the emperor's magic garment. Those who see it are wise and those who don't are foolish. Those that kowtow to it get elected, and those that don't fade away. The gay rights movement has no clothes on it. It's a hoax, perpetrated to protect the special interests of a single group of people who have chosen an immoral lifestyle. San Francisco is known by the homosexual community all over as the gay capital of the world, so it's interesting that such proposed federal legislation should be discussed here in the city. Uh, We have a gay rights ordinance in San Francisco, signed into law in 1978, In the preface of the Gay Rights Ordinance, it states, quote, The Board of Supervisors finds, further, that such discrimination against homosexuality and other things, such discrimination poses a substantial threat to the health, safety, and general welfare of this community. Such discrimination foments strife and unrest. It deprives the city and county of the fullest utilization of its capacities for the development and advancement of the city. End quote peculiar that a city like San Francisco with its reputation for free and tolerant attitudes, which with a homosexual population estimated at about 150,000, that such an ordinance is really needed. The phrase that has puzzled me the most is this one, that such discrimination poses a substantial threat to the health, safety, and general welfare of this community. Well, after studying the ordinances, and I went to the city supervisors, studied the ordinance, and you could look at the testimony; it's all a public record, found no documentation included that that was uh, decried of discrimination. It is my contention that homosexuality itself poses a substantial threat to the health, safety, and general welfare of the city and county of San Francisco. Now, I said that back in 1980. The first case of AIDS was recognized as such in 1981 that homosexuality itself poses a substantial threat to the health, safety, and general welfare of the city. Well, let me give you some statistics. Uh, I have some written down and I'll amplify those things. So we'll deal with those statistics. First of all, books. I have not found very many books that deal with the AIDS situation medically and its application socially and all those other things. This is a Christian fella. Gene Antonio, the AIDS cover-up. Perhaps you've heard about it. It's filled with lots of information. Uh, it's a good one to read. You can have your disagreements with it, for sure. Uh, all his documentation is public record stuff. It's not secret stuff that hasn't been brought out. his footnoted in the back, so if you want to check it out. This is, uh, it was written in 1985, published in And this is the '87 update. And I haven't watched TV now for four days, which means I haven't watched the news for four days. There is a constant updating on the AIDS research and whatever else is going on constantly. So what I could say can be updated every day, something different, but basically the information in here is quite accurate and somewhat detailed I don't think he's being hysterical in that, but some people may think he's being uh, hysterical, whipping up the crowd needlessly. But you read that and evaluate it for yourself. I've called the San Francisco AIDS Foundation in the city, and as far as they know, they have no other literature to give you. The only thing you get information on AIDS is the newspaper or TV programs. Uh, John, you had a question?
1: And, uh, that book I've done a little reading about it. It is a very difficult to find books in print the four lines set that, that bookstores have uh, does not list it and the, the author of that has called books in print and has written letters and consistently uh, somehow the data or the, the, the entry falls through the cracks. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to find this book uh, and you know, some people haven't used that as an example of some sort of conspiracy. It is available through the conservative book club. And I think in some Christian bookstores, like John, uh, I don't have about bookstore, uh, but it is a difficult book to find. If you go to your bookstore and they say, we never heard of it, uh, it's not in books in print, therefore it doesn't exist. And this is the kind of stuff that can It does exist. I mean, yeah, yeah. And uh, it is somewhat some difficult to okay,
0: find. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Ignatius Press from San Francisco. Jay. If
1: you're in the L.A. area, the Christian is
0: Whittier has it. Good. Uh, But like I... Pardon me? Is it in their catalog?
1: Probably not in their catalog because their catalog is never over
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like I said before, this is the only condensed paperback book version that you're going to have a discussion just on AIDS let on the Christian view of AIDS and so forth. I mean, uh, I haven't been able to find it even in a secular fashion. George?
1: Are you familiar with uh, Larry Laughlin's book? That's Big Loughlin's son. No. He's a reporter on Made. And uh, about is, is, uh, uh, we have uh, a doctor in our congregation who is is an AIDS researcher and uh, she's looking at that book and evaluating it
0: right now Yeah, we did the same we have a, fel- a doctor in our church who's evaluated it he likes some of it he doesn't like some parts of it true uh, doctors that are really into this thing will find it deficient to a certain extent obviously so all the way in the back
1: I've seen that
0: book. Okay. Secular, Christian bookstore, or non Christian? B would have it. That's good. Uh, Here's the free document. This is the government uh, Coop's. This is uh, Surgeon General Coop's own writing on AIDS issue, so forth. Acquired immune deficiency sins Surgeon General's report. So you can get that from the Surgeon General for free. Uh, It has some also good information. Of course, I'm upset about it because it's not Christian-oriented. But in the back, it also has a number of places you can write for further information on AIDS, uh, AIDS-related issues, and so forth and so on. So you can get the address on that. Uh, AIDS, was, um, AIDS has a, a number of diseases involved with it, which, which diseases have been always around. But the, the real issue is the, the way it's coming around and how it's transmitted um, And uh, the first diagnosed case of AIDS was 1981. Though they believe that in 1979, they did come across the first case of AIDS, but that's only after they finally discovered AIDS or began to define it in 1981. It wasn't until 1984, so this is recent stuff, It wasn't until 1984 that they found it was a virus or what they call as a retrovirus, a special kind of a virus. Uh, I've had to do a lot of research on what's a virus, you know, review your old biology courses and so forth. So I've had to talk to doctors and uh, other individuals and, of course, we have one doctor and a nurse and we may have other doctors here uh, as well that have information on this. Let me put up this board. First, I want to give you some uh, statistics, uh, some of the medical aspects, and then we'll get into the uh, theological ramifications now you may not be able to see all that you like huh. interesting so if you can't see it very well from there fine come up afterwards and take a look at it i couldn't write everything on there uh what what is aids that start over it's acquired immune deficiency syndrome or acquired immunodeficiency syndrome aids uh originally it was called grid Gay-related immunodeficiency syndrome, but that was changed because it <laughs> it hits too close to home. So the A I D S, AIDS, is the usual thing. Uh, AIDS is basically caused, and I'm going to am I'm not a doctor. Remember that, and so I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible so I can understand it to help you understand it. Uh, The research research on it has been fantastic. One of my doctors said to me that even if we were studying this 15 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, we still wouldn't be any far in advance to finding a cure for the thing. We have tremendous amount of information that we've learned about viruses and retroviruses and stuff like that. But it's a virus uh, that attacks the white blood cells or actually a particular kind of an enzyme or a cell within the cell called the T cell. And so perhaps you've heard of the expression HTLV3. Uh, that was the old way to describe it. It's simply HIV nowadays. Uh, this is human T lymphotropic virus type three. They've also come, with, come up with the HTLV4. And this particular virus is mutating, so they've given it a four and possibly a five different viruses or mutations of this virus are going around. So that's why trying to track the virus, let alone find a cure for it or even a a vaccine for the thing, is really a challenge for the medical community. Uh, Nowadays, most doctors call HIV a human immunovirus, immunodeficiency virus. So HIV is more the the proper term. And... uh, it attacks the, the T cell, which is a particular cell. The T stands for thymus. And this particular cell are the white cells. Basically, you know, they, they fight off your diseases. And so, basically, this retrovirus attacks uh, the, the T cell in there, which virtually destroys and does destroy your ability, your body's ability to fight off diseases. Um, and what... The doctor that I talked to said about a retrovirus, the interesting thing or the intriguing thing about a retrovirus as opposed to other viruses, he said the retrovirus, this particular retrovirus, was one that would actually attach itself to the cell and become one with the genetic structure of the cell so that the cell starts producing the AIDS virus itself. So the T cell actually produces AIDS, there. And so the only way you're going to destroy the virus or the retrovirus is to destroy the cell, which at this point, you know, that's to kill the person. Well, he's going to die anyway. Uh, So basically this retrovirus feeds off. It's kind of like a parasite of sorts uh, that feeds off the cell itself and kills off the ability of the body to fend off diseases. And so therefore you're left defenseless and you'll be taken over by other diseases, certain kinds of diseases. Uh, usually when you're described as having AIDS, uh, there's two or three uh, diseases that you come down with. Uh, One is a a pneumonia-type disease, uh, pneumocystis uh, carinae disease, and that affects the lungs. Now, normally, uh, as I'm told, everybody has a a kind of a, a, a parasite like that, and your body normally can handle that stuff, except when you get this virus, the defense system is lost and now this virus or this parasite that you normally have just takes over. And uh, so there's the lung disease, and then there's the KS, or the Kappa C sarcoma, which is a skin disease, and that's the one that breaks out in the purple lesions around your face and all your body. And perhaps you've seen pictures of that, and it gets absolutely awful. Um, and I, I've mentioned this to some of you, that uh, there's been a homosexual fellow. His name is David, and we have been praying for him and working working against him and arguing with him and all kinds of things. He believes he's a born-again Christian and all that other stuff. And we've warned him to flee from the wrath to come. The wages of sin is death. It really is. And I told him, now, if you come down with AIDS, uh, let us know. We'll see what we can do for you. And uh, last summer he called up uh, with tears in his eyes and choking in his voice, I have AIDS. Now, he's got both KS and the pneumocystis and uh, he got that uh, he diagnosed it you can get the virus and not know it and you and the incubation period can be up to two and now they say up to seven years and some speculate even longer so you can have it without knowing it but then when the symptoms start to come out and you get the ks Kappacy sarcoma or the pneumocystis you haven't got much time to live uh, david now Is in a wheelchair, uh, he's 39 years old, wheelchair and on oxygen. And uh, we don't know how long that he has. Uh, With both of those diseases, a maximum of two years, if not less. An awful thing. Uh, We get in San Francisco a regular monthly death count. So it's about 60 people, between 60 and 70 a month, that die of AIDS. And uh, a little over a hundred that come down with the diagnosis of the virus uh, that test positive. Now, you can test positive for the virus and not be sick at all. Uh, And you can live a normal life. You can still pass on the disease. You're still infected enough to pass it on. If you continue your your, uh, immoral sexual practices or just sexual practices, you can still pass it on and still be healthy. We don't know absolutely if it's 100% fatal. All we know is seven years ago, everyone that had it is now dead. Now, whether everyone will die of it who has the virus, that we don't know. Uh, Okay, number one. Number two, we've dealt with. There's three basic stages to the AIDS thing. There's the initial infection that simply you're a carrier and it's all throughout your system. They found the virus not only in uh, sperm and blood fluid, but spinal fluid, tears, saliva, and so forth. Uh, How it's transmitted, we'll get to that in a few minutes. So uh, the first stage is basically a carrier stage. The only way you know you have it is to be tested. If you don't want to be tested, then you just don't know. And there's a lot of people that just don't want to know because when you have it, it's a death sentence and that's it. So, if you have it, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no cure to the thing. So, why worry about it? Uh, number two, the second stage is called ARC. That's not the Association for Reformed Churches. That's, a, that's AIDS-related complex, A-R-C, AIDS-related complex, AIDS-related complex complex. You start to come down with symptoms like swollen glands, fatigue, nausea, tiredness, headaches, and so forth. You haven't fully come down with the disease. Uh, now again, these are three different stages of the disease, which are like the first trimester, the second trimester, the third trimester of your pregnancy, you know, and you don't know the difference. You know, it just blends into one and the other. But they've come up with this uh, artificial distinction for the time being. And then there's finally the full-blown stage, and the full-blown stage is uh, described by the Center of Disease Control in Atlanta as when you finally come down with the, the basic uh, either Kaposi's sarcoma or pneumocystis or uh, a couple of other diseases. That's when you're called an AIDS, when you have the disease of AIDS. Uh, you have the, the virus with AIDS here, with the ARC, yeah, but this is where they uh, have been calculating and taking the statistics down what its full-blown status And that's where they start counting how many years you're going to live with the chaos or the newness or something related to that. Uh, There is another category called dementia. Dementia has to do with the disease in the brain. Uh, They have not at this point included the dementia, the statistics on dementia. And so when they uh, read off the statistics on who has AIDS, it doesn't include necessarily those with ARC, those with carriers uh, and those with dementia, okay? at first, it was originally thought that the AIDS virus... You didn't die of AIDS. Just like uh, diabetes, you don't die of diabetes. You die of all the complications involved with it. And so, originally thought the same about the AIDS. You didn't die of AIDS. You died of all the complications. But now they, they realize that you can die of AIDS without getting the pneumocystis and capycystis, sarcoma, and, and the other opportunistic diseases. And what they've discovered is that the, the, the virus can attack the brain itself. And then... Uh, course start to cause all kinds of problems with the brain. Uh, not just loss of memory, but loss of bodily functions and everything else. And then of course it uh, it always leads to death. Uh, now I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions. I'm glad you're you're raising your hands, so uh, that's fine. we get
1: are the people that have it or only based
0: stage three? Yeah. Up to this point. This could change, this could change, but the Center of Disease Control in Atlanta describes AIDS patients, people with AIDS. Uh, they don't include necessarily those with ARC and those with dementia. Well, uh, there's, a, there's an overlap of the disease. So they do make the things. Now, now a word from the doctor. Say that again. Thank you. And, 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 and right, to test positive, or let me phrase it this way: to come back with a zero-positive test, a positive test of AIDS doesn't mean you have AIDS. There are false positives too, so then you have to take another test. And if you get infected, if you, today you got infected with AIDS. And my, the next day, uh, with the virus, and the next day you went to get tested, uh, it normally would be zero anyway, negative. You have to wait about three to six months before it starts to show up on the test. Now they are uh, developing a more accurate test to pick up whether you have the virus uh, within a shorter period of time. But uh, up until recently, uh, it w- would only show up between three to six months. So if you're going to be tested, you would also have to be retested every three to six months. And that wouldn't necessarily guarantee, because then you may get a false negative, as well as a false positive, and that means more testing involved over and over again. So that's one big reason why the Surgeon General would be opposed to, to universal random testing. He wants selective testing. In San Francisco, they don't want any testing whatsoever, uh, because uh, of the uh, the negative false positives, or the false positives, and the negatives, and all this other kind of stuff, and all the anxiety that it would create, and so forth. Um,
1: yeah. 2% are false positives, and 5% are false negatives. That's that's least one of them. So it's not that high. So it's very angry test now. Yeah,
0: and if you get a false, if you get a positive, they say take another test to, to guarantee it. Take at least two or three tests.
1: That's because it takes three to six months to develop the immunities to the disease. Yeah. So they should have antibodies. Special stage immunity. They should develop antibodies to
0: the disease. And those antibodies to show up, Yeah. They, they are using a test drug called AZT to combat the disease. Uh, of course, uh, the only, at this point, the only way you can treat AIDS disease is if you have the pneumonia part, they treat the pneumonia. If you have the, uh, the cancer part, they treat the cancer part, but they can't treat the virus as such. But they've come up with the experimental drug AZT. And I don't, want, I don't know what AZT uh, uh, acronym stands for, but uh, it's been approved by the uh, FDA uh, a little bit faster than most drugs. Most drugs take a long time, to finally, before they're approved of this one, they just went ahead a lot faster, and so that's somewhat, that makes it somewhat controversial. Uh, but also AZT, as a drug itself, is very expensive. It costs about $10,000 a year per patient for AZT. Now, that is not hospitalization, doctors, blood transfusions, and all these other things that uh, that you also need for the AZT, and uh, in san francisco with uh, the san francisco general hospital of course is one of the most uh, populated areas with the aids and aids research and all other stuff there's only about uh, 40 or 50 of the aids patients who are actually taking the azt and the azt is only for a certain kind of the opportunistic diseases not for all the opportunistic diseases as a matter of fact primarily for those with the pneumonia so if you have the pneumonia Or if you have the capacity sarcoma, they won't apply it to that respect. But with pneumonia, they will use it if you want it. They can't force it on you. Uh, You've got to realize how much it's going to cost. And also the, uh, what do you call it? The complications as a result of it will kill you. The side effects will kill you. So take your pick. You can take AZT and it possibly will kill you as such, maybe faster, or just wait it out, hope it out, hope they come up with some kind of a cure. Uh, the, the, what they're working on is a vaccine as well as a cure, and of course a vaccine is not a cure. So the expense on that is just phenomenal.
1: Larry? I was just given some figures that came to a missionary organization, of the health minister of one of the Central African nations, who asked to remain nameless that they've done some formal testing in parts of Africa and now in some areas of East Africa, the incidence of virus testing is 80 to 90% of the population and they're facing a massive depopulation of it. The government is systematically suppressing information about it. They just forced out one of the NBC reporters that was trying to try and find out what's going on. They've got better information on it. There's a little government there anyway they're able to get some information. Yeah. Yeah,
0: as a matter of fact, Zaire, Zaire and Uganda are the worst contaminated areas for the AIDS, and it's not related to whether you're homosexual or uh, promiscuous. It's just across the board, uh, men, women, and children. And it's because of promiscuity, for sure. Uh, whole villages have been completely wiped out because of the AIDS thing. Uh, so in Africa, it's a worse condition whatsoever. And uh, one of the doctors, again, that I talked to, he said by the, by the millennium, Uh, turn of the millennium, it'll be up to 70% of the total population of Africa that'll have AIDS. Uh, I mean, those are awful things. Now, remember, they are projections, and projections can change year by year. Don't relax. (laughs) Oh, okay, that's all that it is, just a projection. You can hear some other statistics here. Uh, As of uh, June 19, 1987, 36,000-plus reported cases of AIDS, 21,000-plus deaths. So you see it's uh, it's rampantly growing there. By 1991, they estimate 250,000 cases, approximating about 180,000 deaths. Uh, Now statistics, Uh, 74% of those with AIDS are homosexual. 17% of those with AIDS are IV drug users, not because they're IV drug users, but because they swap needles, that's the point, uh, or infected needles, and these are the two most important groups, and uh, some of the doctors are most concerned about the IV drug users uh, uh, because that seems to be growing at faster rate than this one at this particular point. Uh, 4% are heterosexual. They get it through heterosexual immoral uh, acts. 3%, they don't know where it comes from. The AIDS comes from. 2% by blood transfusion, and 1% by hemophiliacs. Now, according to Antonio, he says, uh, all hemophiliacs using blood products prior to 1985 are infected. Now, I'm having a number of doctors try to check that out and maybe your doctor will check that out as well. But that's what he said and he has, this, he has the, uh, the primary source. So you can look that up as well. But uh, those hemophiliacs who take blood byproducts prior to 1985 all have it. And that's an awful condition to be in and so forth. Uh, So, there's all kinds of statistics that we can give on this particular disease. Uh, You can imagine now, uh, when you deal with 74% of homosexual, you're basically dealing with uh, a part of the population of the United States, the young man population. Incidentally, I don't have any statistics on lesbians. And I've asked doctors that so far we have not had any statistics on lesbians having AIDS. The transmission is from uh, the man to the woman, but the transmission from the prostitute to the, the prostitute woman to the man is a lower incidence, so the percentage is less there. Uh, so the transmission from man to woman is much faster and much greater, and they're trying to figure out why that's so, too. So uh, the lesbian community does not have statistics on whether they have AIDS or not. Uh, how did, How is the disease spread? Well, you've heard some of this stuff, too. Uh... It's contained in blood and semen and various other body fluids, sweat and tears, uh, saliva, but uh, primarily it's through the blood and through semen. Uh, you've also heard uh, just recently that, uh, that the mosquito can carry the virus itself. Now they have to experiment whether the mosquito can transmit the disease. Just because the mosquito has it doesn't mean he can transmit the disease. Now. Uh, they're working on a city or a town in Florida, Belgrade, Florida, have you heard that report? Glade, Florida, which has a high, the highest incidence of AIDS in a city, uh, but also has a very uh, uh, high mosquito infestation too. So they don't know the ratio between mosquitoes, whether mosquitoes actually transmit it, or whether it's just the high incidence of homosexuality and drug abuse and drug use and Belgrade Glade Flairs. So they're starting experiments like that. So in the next six months, we'll know whether there is such a transmission. Again, the doctors tell me that there probably isn't a transmission. If there is, it's a very low incident of transmission uh, simply because in the African studies where you have uh, everybody with malaria, everybody's got malaria. You haven't got everybody with AIDS. Uh, so anyway, they're still, still evaluating on that. Uh, it could change in the next few months on this. You get it uh, through immoral, uh, illicit sexual activities. Um, now I realize that when I talk about AIDS, you've got to be discreet in what you say, and uh, so forth. So I'll try to be as, uh, as uh, polite as possible. Also, uh, through contaminated uh, needles and so forth, San Francisco was uh, proposing at the board of Supervisors to pass out needles to the uh, AIDS to the drug users. There's my needle. I keep it just in case, and nobody else has it. Uh, I was going to go down and get my free load too, but they stopped stop that. But they are seriously thinking of passing out alcohol. Uh, you know, when you get an injection, you prepare your skin with an alcohol swab. And that doesn't kill the diseases or anything, but they put that on the shelf for the time being, too. Uh, basically, you get, the, you get the disease by the virus coming into the body through a wound in the body. And you've heard of the cases of the health workers that became infected, not because of any sexual activity, but because they were working close proximity, working the blood splattered in one girl's face, in her mouth. Uh, one was chapped hands. It, uh, uh, it came through that way. And they suspect that it was some cut in the skin that the virus got on, too. Now, originally, the uh, Center for Disease Control had a lot of this information a year ago, which they didn 't give out and Finally, they do give this stuff out. They also think politically about this, you know uh, what kind of hysteria do you want to create in the community at large as well as uh, uh, the health health factors and so uh, really, the health guidelines, and I guess the nurses and doctors would know this the most, and the dentists would know this the most, how they have to wear gloves and uh, goggles now and uh, all kinds of clothes. In San Francisco General Hospital, when this first came out a couple of years ago, they played down the, the use of gowns and gloves and all that kind of stuff. And some of the nurses protested, and that was right in the front page of the Chronicle Examiner, now that these, lady, these nurses in San Francisco are protesting this stuff, and they don't have to worry about it. You get it through sexual transmission, not through casual transmission, and so forth. But now they're going back to their stricter uh, uh, prophylactate uh, things, you know, gloves and masks and goggles as well. Uh, you know, you prick your finger on a needle It's so easily. Uh, the doctor in our church has friends that have been working in research and they've pricked their fingers. Now, they won't know for the next two years whether they have AIDS, and they're just uh, in suspension. Uh, you may think it's stupid. Uh, how do they prick their needles? What are they, blind, deaf, and dumb? I've pricked myself on my needle, uh, stupidly, but you can do it and you can get the virus if it's a contaminated needle with contaminated blood or fluid and so forth. So therefore, they don't, they don't have any evidence on the transmission of the disease through saliva, uh, although it's found in saliva or through tears or, or sweat or so forth, though the virus is found there, they don't think it's transmitted that way. Uh, but they're hedging when they say that, and I think rightly so, because they're constantly evaluating that whole thing. Well, let's see. We could go on and on with all this discussion on the disease, primarily Uh, To those who are monogamous, uh, heterosexual, uh, as well as Bible-believing and uh, obey God's word about this, the the real impact will be financially and the health uh, system and the insurance business and so forth uh, that is costing so many hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can't help but remember, and you remember them saying this too, that my sex life is my private business. It's none of your business. Well, it's it's sure our business now. And we may not be infected with the virus as such, but it's still our responsibility. We've got to pay for it. Our taxes are going to be paying for that. And San Francisco, of course, is one of the highest uh, paying for this disease, doing the most they can to fight the disease. Uh, I want to get into uh, fighting the disease and so forth. Later on, it was our Christian responsibility. Here is a uh, magazine. It's called San Francisco Magazine. This is our San Francisco Magazine. And uh, just uh, March 87, and it's the new gay and lesbian leadership. And these were the radicals back in the early 70s. The gay movement started in 1969, New York City. And the gay movement in San Francisco started in 1973. So they have the, the neo-gay movement or the neo-homosexual movement that started in the late 60s, early 70s. That's when the homosexuals started to come out of the closet and do their civil rights stuff. Um, it's interesting. We moved to San Francisco in 1973, too. You know, maybe there's a ministry that we have, and I've often thought of that. The Lord called us there. Uh, there, It's interesting also that in San Francisco, there is a a split in the gay community. There's the old fags and the new gays. Now, when I use the term faggot, that's a pejorative term, but uh, many of the old-time homosexuals don't mind being called faggots. So, uh, to the old-timers, that's that's a badge of uh, courage for them. But usually the term faggot doesn't apply to that. It's usually a pejorative term. you know what a faggot was? It was a stick you threw in the fire, you see. And so many of them uh, like to be called faggots because it reminds them or reminds you of what you Christians did and burning them at the stake and all this other kind of stuff. So it's kind of a... They want to throw that back on uh, the Straits or the Fundamentalists or whoever. Um, I spoke at... uh, a rally that uh, Dorman Owens had in San Diego. And some of you know Dorman Owens, a uh, fundamentalist minister down in San Diego. And uh, one thing that I... He invited me to speak down there because of our situation, AIDS and so forth. He had a big rally. And one thing I stipulated when I was talking to him on the phone, I said, I want it to be clear that if we're going to be Christian and have a Christian witness to the homosexual community, the gay community, whatever you want to call it, uh, I object to using pejorative terms queer, fag, faggot, and so forth, of uh, those terms. And I said, I won't put up with that. I won't tolerate that anymore. And so I will tell your people that. Don't use those words around me. I don't see how we could demonstrate the love of Christ if you're going to go around using those pejorative terms. And, and realize also that because we live in the city and it, we're inundated with this stuff, years ago, we, uh, you know, looking at a homosexual or mimicking a homosexual, uh, was kind of a funny thing to do. It's, for us, it's not funny anymore. We don't laugh. These fellows are dying, uh, not just from uh, their disease, but uh, eternal death is, is really the most the awful thing about it and the blindness uh, of the gospel. Uh, there's a group of evangelicals concerned called Evangelicals Concerned, which are a group, a nationwide group, of uh, proclaiming evangelical Bible believers from Bible schools and so forth that are homosexual. And they are, uh, Ralph Blair is the, uh, is the head of that organization out of New York. And uh, they're putting out all kinds of literature in San Francisco to persuade the gay community that you can be a born-again Bible-believing Christian and still be homosexual. And uh, that is, to me, far more deceptive and just an awful condition to be in. So uh, in order to demonstrate and show the love of Christ, you just can't go around. You used to be able to make jokes about that kind of stuff, but not anymore. It's not a joking joking matter. This particular magazine has the the latest up-to-date information on gay power in San Francisco. Some of you saw the uh, CBS documentary I showed, and that's, uh, that's eight years old, seven to eight years old. And here's the same people in that documentary. Some of them still alive here. Well, these people are still alive, obviously. And uh, the latest information, uh, they're what they're trying to do politically, socially, and so forth. They're part of the establishment in San Francisco. And it's a nice, slick magazine that makes it all acceptable. Well, what's the Bible have to say about all this? This also gets controversial, what the Bible has to say. What does the Bible have to say? Is AIDS a judgment of God? That's usually the first question that's asked. And uh, I think a straightforward answer is, yes, AIDS is uh, a, a judgment of God. Uh, and there's a sense in which all disease, put it in perspective, all diseases are a judgment of God. Some diseases are a more immediate judgment of God and seems such more directly a judgment of God. Uh, not all that have AIDS are being judged by God because of having the disease. You know, a lot of people have the disease but are, it's not their fault. Uh, infants have them, and usually... Uh, well, that was a statistic I wanted to give you, too. About... Uh, well, new, you can get uh, AIDS uh, from your mother, and newborn infants can get it either while in the womb or on the, on the birth canal and so forth, and they suspect women with AIDS, which is a low percentage, either through uh, IV drugs or something else, Uh, The baby has a 50-50 chance of developing AIDS. And, of course, uh, who wants a a baby with AIDS? And so that's the other dilemma. What do you do with the baby with AIDS? Because many of the mothers just give up the child. The child's going to die anyway. It's going to be hospitalized. It's going to cost thousands of dollars. So, again, you're looking at thousands of dollars. You can't get the disease, they tell us, by casual contact, handshaking, kissing, normal kissing, Uh, usually keep it off the mouth kissing, hugging, Simple body contact with no body fluid exchange. That's uh, the latest information. Well, again, uh, go ahead, doc, you're the pediatrician. Go ahead, say it to uh, a doctor.
1: Yeah,
0: and that takes three to six months, yeah. if the mother's positive it's a 50-50 chance that the baby will have it that's how you that's the only way you can do it on the yeah
1: yeah you can't be
0: forced so the question is you have
1: to find out what is the background of the mother that the child is getting if she's a drug addict then you're at a greater risk than she's not a drug addict non-drug addict are that's like the communication process that's very Don. There was a news report months ago in New York, that time, a two to three months ago, there were 20 babies, and they were newborns, and they were few months old. I would say old and six months old. Twenty of them in one particular.
0: Maybe we can do that as we go along here. Uh, Again, as we said, I believe AIDS is uh, sent by God as a judgment. uh, Disease as such because of the sin of the race, we usually say. Uh, All diseases are God's judgment. But as we say, uh, if you commit those particular sex acts, you don't have to be homosexual as such, but if you commit those particular sex acts where you have the the, the chance of getting the AIDS, you will reap the judgment of God. It is a judgment of God in a very serious way. Uh, I believe homosexuality is a judgment of God. Maybe, maybe there could be no disease from homosexuality. It is itself a judgment of God. Uh, and it's bad enough as, as it is. How was how uh, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, how was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Well, Ezekiel chapter 16. Take a look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Now, I know you know the answer, but I wanna play with you for a few minutes, okay? It is now angels' advocate time. You can be the devil's advocate. I'll be the angels' advocate. Uh, Ezekiel 16:48, and this is Ezekiel uh, indicting Jerusalem on their sins and analogizing their sinfulness with their sister, spiritually corrupt sister. Ezekiel 16:48. As I live, says the Lord Jehovah, Sodom, thy sister hath not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, prosperous ease was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. See, there's nothing about homosexuality there. So Sodom wasn't destroyed because of homosexuality, It was because of pride and arrogance. Now, that's the straight community, and those are the fundamentalists. Now, that's the message I get, not from the text, but that's the message we get in San Francisco. It's because of your pride and arrogance and all this other stuff. But the text does go on to say in verse 50, They were haughty and committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw good. So the word abomination is used and of course the word abomination is used in reference to those sexually prohibited diseases in Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20. Turn to the the, uh, Genesis 19 passage. No, it doesn't specifically say homosexuality. That's true. But it was all part of the judgment. It wasn't left out. It wasn't as though God said, we'll destroy him for pride but not for arrogance. Uh, We'll destroy him for uh, adultery but not fornication. It doesn't work that way. Genesis chapter 19 is the destruction of Jerusalem and so forth. But let me give you a text. Jump down to verse 5. These are the men of Sodom who go to the home of Lot, who is now uh, entertaining these angels. Okay, that's the the storyline. And the men of Sodom, they come and they're knocking on the door and all this. Young and old, all the people from every quarter of the city. Verse 5. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men that came in to see this to thee this night bring them out unto us that we may know them and Lot went out unto them and uh, shut the door after him and said such and such and so forth don't do this wicked thing now again let me play the the advocate with you it doesn't say homosexuality now in our our four o'clock parties we're talking about literal interpretation versus non-literal interpretation if you interpret this text literally, it doesn't have anything to say about homosexuality. Well, what does a verse mean then? What does it mean then? Where are the men that came to thee? Bring them out that we may know them. What do you mean that we may know them? Well, some of the arguments that I've gotten was that uh, they wanted to either be acquainted with them. <laughs> I mean, people are serious. I have constant dialogues and discussions with these people. Uh, and It's very interesting. And they're dead serious about this. Uh, now, here's one a little more sophisticated. Maybe this will convince you that it's not talking about homosexuality. The word "no," there, yada. No, there is the Hebrew word is the normal word for no. I know that. See, and out of the out of the 400 incidents cases of the use of the word yada, no, in this sense, you would use no. See, I know my brother and my sister and all this kind of stuff. So, on the basis of the use of the word as such, it doesn't refer to any sexuality. It takes a perverted mind to see that. Well, okay. But the word yada, this word no, is used ten times in reference to marital relationships. Joseph didn't know Mary or when did he knew her and Adam knew Eve and this is the normal word for no, and it wasn't shaking hands, i didn't tell you that. And he knew them, so there is this implication of sexuality involved with the word, with the normal English uh, Hebrew word for no. And the context helps you understand that. Uh, I got another subtle argument. Nine out of the ten—that means not including this one—nine out of the ten cases are all heterosexual relationships. Okay? That means if this is the only homosexual relationship mentioned, or the homosexual use of the expression no then you haven't got any other cases in scripture to back you up so scripture interpreting scripture would mean that nine of these ten cases refer to heterosexual relationships you see now are these guys asking for heterosexual relationships no don't be ridiculous therefore it can't be sexual relationships that's being talked about here perversion of some sort maybe getting acquainted with them, something in hospitality or something but you can't, you can't bring homosexuality out of the word no. And some people get convinced of that. You'd be surprised how many Presbyterians and some Christians, many Christians. We've got a seminary just north of us, San Francisco Theological Seminary, that are convinced of a lot of this nonsense. Now, word studies can be baffle to you, too. You can get convinced with all that word study stuff. But then I thought to myself this. You know, how does the Bible, how does Moses describe homosexuality? Uh, what is the language used? As a matter of fact, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, there's no single one word. There's no one word used to describe homosexuality. So it's not a vocabulary word that you can go to. Uh-huh, there's the word in Hebrew, homosexuality. It, it either is or isn't used in Genesis. Well, it's never used as a singular word in the Old Testament. Uh, a variety of words is used. Now, anybody tell me what the text is? how the the expression uh, uh, prohibition on homosexuality is.
1: You shall not lie with a man as a woman.
0: Right. Now, obviously, that's not a single word. That's a whole phrase of words. But notice what it says. Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20. You shall not lie with a man as a woman. In other words, you shall not have heterosexual relationships with someone of the same sex. That's really what it's asking for. Homosexuality is described as that you can't have heterosexual relationships with someone of the same sex. That's homosexuality. It is heterosexual relationships with someone of the same sex. Now, are they asking for heterosexual relationships? Of course they are. It's called homosexuality. So, if you want to play the word game that says that 9 out of 10 cases it was heterosexual relationships, Make them all ten cases of heterosexuality. These guys are asking for heterosexual relationships with men of the same sex. That's what's forbidden in Scripture. And that's how it's described, Leviticus 18. So don't get hung up with the word. Now, another thing, one more thing along these lines. And I know you know a lot of this already, but let me, let me fill in some of this. Um, turn to Leviticus 18. Uh, this is a little bit technical, but let me give you this one. I haven't found it in any commentaries, but I dug it up somehow. No, I didn't invent it, so don't worry.
1: Uh,
0: Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18. And you see verse 22. Leviticus 18:22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Well, first of all, there's the word abomination that Ezekiel uses. Now, what's missing many times in a Bible study is usually when you read the Old Testament, it was written in what language? Hebrew. But it was also translated into Greek. And the Apostle Paul many times quoted the Greek rather than the Hebrew. And the Greek use of the Old Testament was very popular in the New Testament as well. So it's legitimate to use the Greek translation, or what's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation, which was translated the Old Testament 200 years before Christ came along. So Jesus knew, Paul knew, his Greek in terms of reading the Old Testament. The Orthodox would read the Hebrew. And yet, if you read this text uh, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, back 200 years before Christ, 200 B.C., thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. There is a word used there, which is exactly... The word the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now turn to. Now, I won't, give you, I won't tell you exactly what that word is at this point. We can talk about that later. I'm uh, just giving you an overall. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A number of passages in the New Testament that uh, Paul talks about homosexuality forbidden by God and so forth. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 9. First Corinthians 6, 9. Uh, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and so forth shall inherit the kingdom. It's the expression. Now, my Bible, again, is the 1901 version. Yours may say something different. Nor abusers of themselves with men. You got a different translation? (laughs) Homosexual offenders. Okay, now that's not a literal translation. Uh, I I think it's a literal literal rendition of the thing, but it's not a literal translation. Mine has a literal translation. I think the King James is pretty literal too. Abusers of themselves with men. That's exactly the word that is in the Septuagint for Leviticus chapter 18, as well as Leviticus chapter 20. So, uh, again, don't be fooled into saying, well, there was no one single word used for homosexuality. There was a word used 200 years before Christ that was applied to that, which was a quote from the Hebrew, which didn't have one single word, it had a variety of words, but in the Septuagint, it was reduced down to one word, which the Apostle Paul picks up and uses that exact word to describe homosexuality. For,
1: which, for what uh,
0: The word is... Uh, it's, the, it's that whole phrase. No, whole phrase, right? And later on, I can write out the phrase for you to demonstrate how it is uh, in, in the Hebrew and in the Septuagint. And uh, but it's reduced down to one word in the Old Testament, as and Paul uses an exact one word too. So it's it's a lot clearer than what a lot of people will say. It's kind of a summary. Some people will say that the word Paul the word Paul used there abuses themselves within, Was really talking about Temple prostitution. That's all you have to worry about is temple prostitution. Well, I'm sure temple prostitution had something to do with that word. but That's not the end of it. Well, what does the word of God has to say? Turn to our original passage, Luke. Now, most of us knew that. And I'll talk about uh, what our responsibility is. Luke chapter 13. Homosexuality as such is an awful sin. But if you never commit homosexuality and stay as morally pure as possible, you'll go to hell as sure as they will without the Lord Jesus Christ. Homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. The Apostle Paul does describe it as not only an unnatural sin, but as though God gave them up. But again, homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. God delivers. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians talked about such were some of you. You are delivered from that sin and there's all kinds of ramifications. Incidentally, even before the AIDS thing hit, there was the hepatitis B, all kinds of diseases. It's, it is, is incredible. I bought a, a gay magazine uh, for my own information back in the lawsuit and uh, the lawyers had to see it as well. And uh, I had to throw it away. I had to throw it out of my file. I couldn't keep it. It is incredible, the filth that goes on. Uh, I can't tell you about it. I won't even tell you in a, in a segregated A men only thing it is absolutely filthy you don't imagine how awful the sin uh, and the activities that go on stay out of that lifestyle the apostle Paul mentioned that uh, there are all sins committed but there's uh, basically one sin against the body and that's sexual sins that are against the body they really defile the body Uh, an alcoholic to a certain extent can give up his and be delivered from his alcoholism and at least get away from the bottle. I mean, he may still have the temptation within him, but at least get away. He doesn't have to cross the same street as a bar. He can go around it. But with sexual sins, whether homosexual or fornicating or incest or something, you live with that. You can't cross the street. You can't go around it. That's, that's the particu- a particular sin that haunts and stays with you and defiles the body uh, grossly. Uh, and you see it with age graphically. And yet, what does, what, what does Jesus mean by there? Here are these fellows that died... Think ye that these Galileans were sinners far above all Galileans because they suffered this way? No. Do you think those that perished with the tower that fell on them, when you, when you see that uh, accident happen, it's an awful thing that these people died, do we immediately conclude they must have done something evil? Well, for sure there's a sense in which uh, maybe they did do something evil. Maybe they didn't do anything necessarily any more evil than anyone else. But it's still God's judgment on them. I think the thrust of the passage here is you don't know when you're going to meet your maker. You better be prepared at any time. And you may be morally straight and righteous and all that other stuff, but without Christ you will die just as fast and you will perish just as much and the fires of hell will be just as hot and you'll cook just as as bad there. Now, I believe in various degrees of judgment and various degrees of punishment as well. That's no comfort, you know. How do you want to die? Guillotine in a gas chamber. How do you want to suffer for the rest of eternity? You want to just smoke and be cooked for a while? You just want to burn like a crisp after a while. I mean, there's no comfort in that notion at all. But still, even though there's degrees of punishment that God may have, it's still death and destruction. Flee from the wrath to come. That's the message that we have to give. Now, I know I'm talking about AIDS. And there are a host of other diseases that are not people's direct faults. I mean, people come down with cancers. And cancer, of course, is, the, is, is, I think, a more important issue. And because the homosexual community is so congealed on this, they are making a big to-do about the AIDS. They are getting the funding. They are getting their congressmen. They are getting their legislators, local, as well as uh, federal legislators to work on this thing. And they will get the money. And they will get your money, too. I believe there should be a research for that. But first of all, we have the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that sin destroys. But people can be saved from sin through Christ. The message is still the message of love. God loves sinners. He loves sinners. God loves homosexuals. That may be a little bit tight for some people or some uh, even reformed people, but God loves homosexuals. Without Christ, they are under his wrath. And it's not as though we just ignore the wrath aspect and just talk about love. You've got to bring in that wrath aspect. But you also have to bring in the overarching love of God, which is far more superior. Thank God for His love. In that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for all of us, yes. And it was His love that did that. And we were under His wrath at the same time. But His love is far more powerful. And so still the message supremely is love. Now, don't think that just because you mention that God loves you to the homosexual, that therefore it's okay. It's still not okay. They have to flee from the wrath to come and trust in Christ and turn away from their sins in order to escape that judgment. The mention of the love of God doesn't turn people on necessarily. Uh, The uh, Council of Churches in San Francisco wants to talk about the love of God so much that there is no notion of wrath at all. Uh, I used to criticize the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I think there's a deficiency in the, in the four spiritual laws as we commonly hear it, but I think it's true, a true statement. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What's missing is you're under his wrath unless you turn from your sin. And both of those messages have to go together. And it's, Christ, it's God's love and it's Christ's love for the homosexual. And we have to demonstrate that. We have to demonstrate that compassion uh, for the homosexual. We've got to be upfront with them too. Uh, what Don and I have done is uh, we, in our church we have an AIDS food box and we ask the people and the children to bring cans of food and then we take the boxes down to the AIDS foundation because a lot of fellas, uh, as they get progressed in the disease, can't work and so forth and they're ill and they're also discriminated against in the sense that they're kicked out of their apartments and homes and whatever and they need something to eat and it's our responsibility our uh, I think it's our Christian responsibility to help them so we take down the canned foods I'm trying to get the other ministers in the city to get their churches involved and hopefully they will uh, as we've mentioned before we put Bible verses on the cans and uh, given to them and the AIDS Foundation has accepted it uh, and we tell them straight out that we're a fundamentalist church and that this is our stand on homosexuality but Christ can save from homosexuality save from that sin so they know who we are straight on uh, I don't believe in uh, being uh, uh, surreptitious about this thing and just kind of giving it to them. You tell them where you are. If they don't want your help, then there's nothing more you can do about it. But uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to beat around the bush with them either. Just, just tell them right out front. I'll be right with you. My son, uh, Ryan, put a Bible verse on one of the cans that he did. And the Bible verse was, It is not good that man should be alone. And God created for him a woman. I <laughs> I didn't tell. We don't tell the kids what to put down. They can put any scripture down uh, on that, those cans that they want so forth. Londa? Um, just from, I
1: guess, my understanding of reformed evangelism, I find the idea of just saying God loves homosexuals to be an inadequate presentation of the gospel. And I would think that from our reformed or from our biblical perspective, that we should be careful to say that there are among the homosexuals both whom God loves and draws to Himself. Otherwise, I think we're confusing the issue. Yeah,
0: I disagree very much so. I used to say that. I really don't want to get into that right now. How about if we talk about that at another time? I have a whole theological discussion on that one, too. But I do disagree with that notion. It says that God loves sinners. Uh, and it's not some sinners, but he loves the world. Now, let me just leave it at that and realize that uh, there's more to it in my mind than simply, ah, you just fallen for some other line or so forth. Okay? So, yes, he does. He's all workers of iniquity. Absolutely, he does. But he also loves sinners. Now, how we fit those two together, that's another issue. We'll get into that at another, maybe this afternoon, if you want to talk about that at 2 o'clock. Let's go to town with that one. Love that one. Still, we have to show compassion to them and demonstrate that. So we've done it with an AIDS food box. Uh, One of the doctors recommended to us another practical way is get acquainted with an AIDS patient. Now, that's real practical, but that's extremely difficult, especially if you're upfront about who you are. You're a fundamentalist, this is what you believe. Uh Uh-uh, I don't think I'm gonna get involved. Again, when I say AIDS patients, I'm not talking about a hemophiliac. Uh, For sure, help them out, those people that are innocent. Help those people out. But I'm talking about the homosexual who's brought the disease on himself. Granted, he's brought it on himself. But still, we have to show that compassion of Christ. We also live the holy life. And holiness still must be stressed. He must turn from his sins. And some of those with AIDS have turned from their sins. But some of them with AIDS and are dying of it haven't turned, and they're still infecting the population. They should be incarcerated. Uh, I think Congressman Dannemeyer, he's from Southern California. Where is he from? Orange. Uh, Garden Grove, Orange County, then. Uh, I think Dan is the best. I think he's the sanest of them all. Uh, I've listened to Dan as much as I can, and he was on this big Nightline Ted Koppel's thing on the uh, nationwide issue of uh, AIDS a few weeks ago, and I taped about three hours of it, and it was only Dan that put the, I think, put the message on the line. We've got to stop promiscuity and get back to uh, God's law and so forth. So I would... As far as I'm concerned, I would support uh, Dannemeyer's efforts, and I think he comes across very well. He doesn't come across mean and nasty and so forth, so I've really appreciated what uh, uh, Dannemeyer said. I don't know whether he's a Christian. You know, he might as well be, <laughs> at least by what he said. He's always been pro-life and, and so forth. Uh, But on on this AIDS issue and the legal ramifications, uh, that's what's more difficult, is what what should we do politically and legally? Uh, That's a huge uh, argumentation. But I think Dannemeyer has a hold on the right answer. Another idea that's been thought of is that we should start a Christian hospice. Now, I know there are hospitals uh, that take care of the AIDS patients, but a hospice, you are familiar with a hospice? A hospice is that kind of an agency, kind of a quasi-hospital that takes care of the dying. Now, uh, Love and Action. you Are familiar with Love and Action? Uh, That's an anti-homosexual group uh, in the San Francisco area. Frank Worthen is the director of it. He himself is a converted homosexual, and they minister to homosexuals, bringing them out. He's a fundamentalist, and he has a straightforward gospel. They looked into the idea of having a hospice, too, and they decided, no, they wouldn't go that route because it, it, again, is an awful state. If you take on the hospice notion, with AIDS patients especially, you're dealing with men who may have dementia, which means that they won't necessarily uh, themselves have the uh, pneumocystis and the other diseases, but their minds go and their minds come and all this kind of stuff back and forth. And as soon as they get over their latest mental bout, they're back on the streets again. And then then they come back when they get infected again or, or get some kind of a symptom or disease. And basically all you're doing is just cleaning up the bed constantly. So a hospice thing is something I think Christians ought to take on. Maybe not all Christians can do that. Maybe not exactly. Maybe not all Christians can go before a congressional subcommittee. Granted, don't get a, you know, don't get a guilt trip about the fact you can't do that. Uh, there is something that we can do with the AIDS issue. There's a host of other issues. Realize it. I know that. There's a host of other issues which you've got to pick on. And you can't take AIDS and you can't take everything. So you should be selective. Your church should be selective. You as an individual can be selective in those things. But this is just dealing with the AIDS thing. And and lastly, let me finish this up. We should advocate safe sex. Safe sex means no sex outside of God's commandment. That's really what safe sex is. To me, it's absolutely ludicrous. And we get this constantly on TV and radio. Practice the condom. No, there's no statistics on the uh, protection of the use of condom in AIDS, the virus. Now, we do know that people use condoms for... uh, um, Pregnancy, uh, to avoid pregnancies, they get pregnant anyway. Uh, the, uh, the male sperm is a giant compared to the retrovirus of AIDS. It could get, possibly get through the membrane of the, con- uh, the condom and so forth. So we don't know the statistics on it. I think it's foolish to go around talking about at least safe sex. At least if you're going to have it. If you're going to smoke, smoke a safe cigarette, Right? Don't be stupid. You stop smoking. The same with safe sex. There's no sex outside of God's uh, ordered way. Monogamous. And only in Christ will it be profitable. I mean, enjoyable. You can laugh about it in Christ. Teach your children about safe sex. And uh, and with that, teach your children about AIDS. Teach your children about sexuality, of course now you would think among a Christian group uh, Christians just do that Christians don't do that automatically either getting saved doesn't mean all of a sudden uh, parents are able to teach their children about sex Uh, it doesn't happen you have to learn about that that's why I think pastors, sessions and other health care workers ought to learn how to teach Christians how to teach the children about safe sex and safe sex and realize that the so called ruse of safe sex is not safe sex at all We, we have to teach our teenagers Donna has a uh, one of her uh, secretary friends in there uh, who, has teenage, uh, who has teenage children. And this lady's scared to death. She's scared to death of her children, her teenagers, getting AIDS. But why? Well, she never taught about God's standard of sexuality. And she's scared to death what the kid will pick up and bring home. What will your daughter do when she comes home and introduces you to the fellow who's a Christian, a wonderful Christian. He came out of the gay lifestyle. What do you do? You counsel with your daughter. You may have AIDS. Don't marry. Take a test. You're going to tell your daughter that? You just got engaged. Take, your, take a test. So what if it comes out zero negative? Doesn't mean a whole lot. If it comes out zero positive, maybe it means something more. You have to take a test another three to six months. What if they get married? They have a case we just experienced the case in one of our evangelical churches in the city. There was a couple, a man who came out of the gay lifestyles, converted to Christ, became a member of the church, and so forth. He got engaged to a girl. They decided to wait four years because at that point, the incubation was three to four years. They waited the fourth year. The, the, uh, the test, as a matter of fact, they didn't have the test back in those days. They got married. He got AIDS. He died within a year. He had dementia as well as the other uh, opportunistic diseases and died within a year. Uh, Thank God they had no children. What do you do when they've gotten married? What do you counsel your daughter on? You find out that he has AIDS. Do you counsel no children? Hold off or what? I'll leave that up to you to decide those things. Uh, But interesting to discuss. Uh, A lot more that can be said. But... If you have a gift and an interest in this area uh, of dealing with homosexuality, dealing with AIDS patients and so forth, I would encourage you to look into it and do something about it. Get involved. Your pastor can't do everything. You know, Usually it's called upon the pastor. Pastor, would you go here? Would you carry this sign? Would you do this? Would you do that? And he can't do all that. Uh, maybe you'll have to carry the ball for the pastor. And you'll be his channel. You'll be his instrument. So that he knows, he can go to you and say, Aha, what's the information on AIDS? What's the information on stomach cancer? What's the information on strokes? What's the information on heart attacks? Or many other things going on. So that you become a conduit for the pastor and the session and help them out. And we've got to preach the gospel more than ever. We need that gospel more than ever. Are there any
1: available on how many nurses are playing the profession? That I don't know. Because
0: they're not allowed Yeah, that I don't know. Yeah, you, you you're technically not supposed to tell whether the person has AIDS. Yeah, because that's confidential and all this other stuff. If
1: I were a nurse, I quit. Well, uh, there are
0: some people that went. That, well, let me phrase it this way: there are some people that did go to the stake because a Bible was found in their possessions, and they would just soon die rather than give up their Bible. And I think, to a certain extent, some Christian nurses in that risky business may take the choice of. Yes, for Christ's sake, I will stay there. And if I die, I die. I don't think everyone has to do that. That's true. But I think if you do take that choice, recognize there could be the danger of death for you involved. And you take that on as Christ would have you do it. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer right now. (laughs) Father, again, we thank you that deliverance comes in Christ. That the psalmist, when he said, the plague will not come nigh you was not because of our morality, not because of our being good and decent, but was because we have hidden under the shadow of the Almighty, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are hid in Him in heavenly places. And that righteousness is practically beneficial. And we see that now as AIDS and many other diseases, many other things that are cropping up, because people have violated God's law. But also realize that it is the grace of the Lord Jesus that really does deliver from sin, whether it's homosexuality or thievery or drunkenness or stealing or whatever else. That that gospel really does transform whole families and communities. And we need revival, Lord, in our own churches. We need revival in our communities and we need revival in, in, in our country. That, that Christ is the only one that can heal the disease well, from all different aspects. We ask your blessing on us for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs> I sense that uh, there might be. Th-